Hello and welcome to Trivial Context. We are the unqualified experts. <laughs> Mixing some things here. Uh, I'm Sean with my co-host. Brooke. Brock. Well, Brooke, this is our first episode. Very exciting. It is exciting. For those of you tuning in for the first time. What Which this, would be everybody. <laughs> well, what this podcast <laughs> is, is we hope to uh, answer some of the most commonly asked trivia questions and maybe learn something along the way. To get started, we have each prepared a little report that we're going to give to one another. And to see who starts, we are going to ask the science question. Oh, I forgot that. I was just going to say you should go first. Well, <laughs> baby camels are born without humps. True or false? I'm going to say true. say true. True. We're so smart. Once the baby is old enough to take in solids, the hump will form. So I think you answered first, so why don't you go first? Nope, I think the rule was we get to pick what we want. Oh, <laughs> I so think I you're remembering you to... nope, that's... things that never happened. Nope, okay. Uh, that's what we agreed. Okay. So you should go first. All right, I will go first. That is fine. And it's funny, uh, before we started this, we kind of rolled a die to see which category we should choose first. Yeah. So all of the trivia questions we do at the beginning, we're just pulling random cards from the game. Mm -hmm. And then our reports will be either we'll go through the questions and if something piques our interest, or if just something that we want to talk about piques our interest, Yeah, which is what we did this, this week. This week, for sure. <laughs> Every week, for six weeks, we will be doing a different subject or category of Trivial Pursuit. We rolled a die and Science and Nature came up first. And at the end of this episode, stay tuned, we're going to roll a die and choose the next one. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. Yeah. i just also like to say that Sean's studying biochemistry, which is science. <laughs> you studied horticulture. And I am a horticulturist. That's true. You which graduated. Which is science... And nature. <laughs> I'm just saying, Yeah. we were excited for this category. Yeah, honestly, it was the one I wanted the most, so I'm happy it was first. Yeah. We will, I will start my report with a question. A trivia question? One I came up with on my own. <laughs> Who discovered the photoelectric effect, Brooke? Well, TBH, I saw you researching for this. So if you get it wrong, it'd be really embarrassing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Albert Einstein. It was Albert Einstein. Yes, I'm not embarrassed. His friends call him Alberto. Oh, really? No, I have no <laughs> idea. It's like, that is fun trivia. His friends probably called him Mr. Einstein. <laughs> He's very... Uh... Hey, Einstein. <laughs> probably yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because the things that I find like the most fascinating and I really like to spend my own time researching are things that we as scientists or as a, a people don't know. So I still remember being in my 10th grade chemistry class talking about what light is and the feeling of wonder and confusion I felt at the pitiful explanation we have, uh, both for what light is and why it behaves the way it does. And this question, what light is, is still hotly debated to this day, hotly. People are screaming at each other. <laughs> light, when observed, 
using, for example, this is a pretty common experiment, uh, paper that becomes stained when light touches it, you know, I think film, it acts like a wave. That shows this is by putting that paper that stains behind a wall, completely dark room, then drilling two holes into that wall. If the light acted like a particle, you would find two dots on that paper uh, across the way from the hall, right? So think of it like an hourglass. Sand will go through the hole and land directly beneath the hole, right? Turn that on its side, and if light was a particle, that's exactly what you would see, right? Just a big dot uh, exactly across the way from the two holes, two, two dots. Mm -hmm. That's not what you find. You instead find a complex undulating lattice of where the two waves of light meet one another in the paper. And it's stronger where two, uh, so light is a wave, right? So the, the top of the wave would be the crest. Where the two crests meet, it's very bold and, and you can see it well. When a crest meets like a mid-range, you know, it's a little fainter. And if a crest meets a trough at the bottom of a wave, then it neutralizes itself and it creates this very uh, interesting looking uh, yeah a lattice so light's a wave right mm -hmm. okay it's a wave and a particle says who uh newton and his arch nemesis well einstein also <laughs> says that <laughs> i think newton like discovered it oh or, cool like, was the first him and his newton's a cool guy yeah, he was crazy, though. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Einstein. <laughs> yes, so Einstein and his math stepped in, and he said, well, he uh, had his own experiment. He shot different intensities of beams of light at metal and recorded what happened to the electrons. So, real quick explanation. Uh, light excites electrons, and we can record what happens to those. And long story short, the electrons behaved like they were being hit by particles. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, right? And it's funny to uh, debate or discuss this because we can't see light, but then at the same time, like, light is all we can see. So it's a funny, like, if only we could, s you know, see smaller or see or whatever. But at the point where you can see what is happening to light, you wouldn't be able to see it all because light is what you see. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. It's a head scratcher. Yeah, honestly, light... I don't get <laughs> like I just you know I don't I don't need to I mean if I sat down and, and really studied it I'm sure I'd get it mm -hmm. but I just remember yeah being in you high sure school you'd get it you sure get the thing that's hotly debated to this day uh I'd probably get it better than I do but yeah I just remember <laughs> being in high school and being like like yeah waves crests troughs whatever light mm -hmm. you know I see I'm good yeah I, and for me that same i have the same feeling and that's what excites me about it oh yeah is that yeah nobody really knows and i love that and light's pretty common i think it's like a pretty like universally yeah needed and accepted thing and it's also fun <laughs> like you can like you can feel light yeah oh i love vitamin d yeah she does Einstein was not the first scientist to suggest light is or travels in the form of photons or particles. Was it Newton? No. <laughs> he, Einstein referred to them as packets of, of energy or packets of light. The honor of the first person to do so goes to Max Planck, who some students will recognize from using Planck's 
constant. Is that right? Planck's constant? Not looking that up. You're looking up who is Isaac no. Newton? No. Who is Isaac Newton's arch... Gotcha. Nemesis. Okay. So thank you, Max Planck. His name was Hook. Captain Hook? <laughs> Robert Hook. Oh, good for him. And I'm pretty sure he made him... There's like one picture of him. And he died. And it was like, burn it. Oh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> So yes, with yeah, this theory, Einstein came up with a model for light that we use. He was awarded the 1921 Nobel Prize in Physics for his discovery of the law of the photoelectric effect. His theory of these packets of energy that make up light or photons was resisted by the larger physics community even after experiments showed that his equations for the photoelectric effect were accurate. Wow. Mm. So those are the chemistry background. Maybe as flabbergasted as I was, and still am, by this idea. But for those of you thinking, so what? Let me summarize, then explain. We know there are two models we can use for light. The wave model, and the photon or particle model. And there's also the ray model, but we don't worry about that. The way it was described to me is that there are not two or three kinds of light. Instead, light is a spork. At times, it acts like a fork, stabbing potatoes or whatever. Other times, it acts like a spoon, helping you drink soup. For us, who only understands things in terms of forks and spoons, we cannot comprehend what a spork is. For now. 200 years ago, we didn't have any models for light. Uh, they didn't even have forks or spoons. Uh, probably, definitely didn't have sporks. <laughs> and today, we have three. So tomorrow, we may have a fourth, or some scientist, the next Einstein, will finally found, find out what a spork is and condense all three into one. Now that being said, models aren't meant to show what things are, just to help us understand what they are. But then again, even though we have all these models to help us understand, the fact that we have so many models kind of undercuts that and makes it difficult to understand. I'm glad my first report can be in theoretical physics, and I, yeah, I'm excited for next science. Yeah. Which may be in six weeks, maybe in 12. That was my report. I loved it. Thanks. Do you have any further questions? No. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Do you know why things are colors? You should tell me again. So those electrons that, are, that absorb the photons that I talked about earlier, they are excited, and then, I don't remember the actual term, but then, you know, they relax, and the energy they give off is in a wavelength, and we can see wavelengths that go from red to purple. Yeah. And infrared wavelengths, we don't see, and ultraviolet, we don't see. Or radio waves, or microwaves, or x-rays, or gamma rays. We got very, uh, narrow vision. That's my report. Brooke, your turn. All right. Backstory. I pretty much immediately knew I wanted to talk about this. And then there's a couple other podcasts I listened to. And I was like behind by a couple weeks. I listened to one. And it was essentially what I wanted to talk about. Nice. A, a little different. Mm. That's more. Theirs is more broad. I went more like... Yeah, and I bet they didn't have like 13 minutes of someone talking about light Yeah, in the beginning of the It was theirs. just funny because <laughs> they started talking and I was like, are you 
kidding me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I used it as like a reference. Nice. For this report. I also was hesitant to do it because I am super passionate about this topic and I didn't know if I wanted to for it to be the guinea pig report of mine. Yeah. So. Well, we're all waiting on bated breath. What are you talking about? All right. Well, here's my trivia question. What common fruit most likely in your kitchen currently is on the verge of extinction and have has already almost gone extinct? Well, I hope it's potatoes, even though those aren't a fruit. Uh, you don't like potatoes, but remind me about potatoes later because I can bring something up. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll make a note. It'll be potatoes. Um, and to be fair... Sean also knows the answer to this because I've yeah. talked about it a lot this week. <laughs> I think in the following weeks, we will not talk to each other. Talk to each other. <laughs> just flat out. Uh, but the answer is bananas. Correct. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. It's bananas. B-A-N-A. Okay, please cut that. I will not. Um, <laughs> all right. So when I say bananas. Ananas. That's a pineapple. I think it's Spanish for banana. Continue. <laughs> well, that's the... Espanol. That's the scientific name of pineapple. It's genus. You're a genius. <laughs> Thanks. Oof, way off. <laughs> what is it? Platano. Oh, yeah. Like a plantain. <laughs> no, we don't speak Spanish in this house. <laughs> no, never. But not because we don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So when I say banana, I'm sure we all picture... The exact same banana. Because there's only one type of banana pretty much available at a grocery store. And I do have, I do have a question about this. Yes. So I have lived in China. Yes. Also, what are plantains? Um, and they have a different cousin. kinds of potato. Uh, potatoes. <laughs> they have different kinds We're of bananas. Yes, yeah, sorry. They have like little weenie bananas. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty good. Yeah. So those are bananas that are different. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's my question. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll get into this a little bit later. Um, But this kind of banana, this variety is called the Cavendish. Mm. So that's what we are familiar with. And the reason that they have a monopoly over our grocery shelves. Because John Cavendish poisoned all the other bananas. No. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's because they are delicious, attractive. And easy to transport. I have seen a few bananas in my time and gone, whew, that's an attractive fruit. Yeah. Um, they do so well, in fact, that the entire banana industry specifically designed itself around growing and exporting Cavendish bananas. Mm. And that's all fine and dandy until you realize that this variety of bananas is susceptible to a disease that is starting to ravage the entire world. Would it's you called... call it a pandemic for bananas? Yeah. A bandemic? It's a bandemic. It's called TR4, or Tropical Race 4, or Fusarium wilt, or, most commonly, Panama disease. And these are all the same, not four All the same, hmm. yeah. Um, so I might interchangeably, like, I might say Panama disease or TR4 or something like that. But just know I'm talking about the same thing. Yeah. Um, Call it Bovid. No. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
this fungus doesn't affect humans, which is great, but That's unfortunately, great. it immediately causes the banana plant's leaves to yellow, shrivel, and then the plant will pretty much die. Um, and once that plant is infected, you can't just get rid of that one plant mm-hmm. because it's a, an infection in the soil. And so the roots can pull it down. As most funguses are, right? Like they, yeah. they spread through soil really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're 10 feet below and then roots of neighboring plants pull it up and then they get infected. So if one banana plant mm-hmm. has it, like acres of bananas have to be wiped out and then they pour like urea on it they like burn it they pee on it no it's called urea okay (laughs) um urea actually but um and they cover it in a tarp so that like birds won't land in it and then carry carry it somewhere else yeah i mean it's like yeah i mean yeah it's it's a big deal um that's really like it's funny you talked about how the the plants leaves yellow and all this stuff Mm -hmm. and I i don't know if i'm alone in this but like I don't really ever think about bananas as a plant because they're just a fruit to me. Mm-hmm. Like I just think of them in their bunches. But no, they, there's a big tree that they came from, and like all there's a lot of things. Yeah, there in, are a lot of things in, in, <laughs> that that go towards it being what I picture in the supermarket. Yeah, so just to kind of like go off what we were just talking about, how easily transmittable it is. Trucks that enter the the farms. They have to be sprayed. Every tire tread has to be sprayed. They spray the entire undercarriage of the vehicle. When employees like walk into the facility, they have to like take their personal items off and then put on boots and like aprons and stuff. And then they walk through like tubs of disinfectant. And then on their way to the trees, mm-hmm. they put the companies put in little cement paths. So that they don't have to walk through on the soil. Wow. So it's very limited. Honestly, bananas aren't worth it. They're not that good. <laughs> you don't like bananas. Well, anyway. I eat them. Yeah. I don't like potatoes and I don't eat them. I don't like bananas, but I do. Yeah. Yeah. Way to eat all the endangered food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, in... um, how are potatoes doing? Are they under threat? No. Nice. We'll talk about it later. Oh. One company said that they've put $5 million in the last two years trying to prevent TR4 from spreading. Wow. Yeah. Like, it's a big deal. But it's necessary because since taking these precautions, they've noticed a huge decrease. I mean, $5 million. More than I could spend. Yeah. (laughs) And what makes the situation worse is that we've already gone through this with bananas. Yeah. I've heard stories of, like, the banana flavored candies or whatever Mm -hmm. am i jumping ahead Mm -hmm. okay i'll cut it no don't cut it i'll just talk about it okay i've heard stories (laughs) of like yeah banana flavored candies that we eat today don't taste anything like bananas but apparently they're supposed to taste like what bananas or a different species of bananas tasted like 50 60 however many years ago the bananas of our grandparents and great-grandparents were not kevin dishes they were called gross michelles or Big Mikey's. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the exact same thing happened. Like all of the bananas we ate were gross shells. A different strain of Panama disease came through, wiped them out. While those were dwindling, the Cavendish was discovered, and they thought, we'll be saved. Yeah. We'll just do the Cavendish. And they did the same thing. 
Yep. The issue <laughs> is a lack of diversity in these fruit crop. Yeah. yeah. For example, let's talk about apples. Please. So many varieties. So many 20, varieties. 20,000 or something. Even if you go to like your basic grocery store, you're going to have There's a there's a row. I'd say like 7 minimum like varieties of apples. I would say 8. <laughs> and then you know you you get into different like areas of the world yeah. and like farmers markets and all of that. And there's a huge variety. Yeah, you- so, let's say that the Honeycrisp apple became susceptible to some type of blight and all the Honeycrisp apples went away. Now, that would be, be devastating because... Truly tragic because it's the best apple. Yeah, hands down the best. But apples wouldn't be... Like, we'd still have options for apples because mm-hmm. let's, let's say a Granny Smith is resistant to that blight. Okay. Variety is good. Spice of life. Or in Banana's case, only option for life. Yeah, it's called a monoculture. Mm. The other issue with bananas, the Cavendish, is that they are propagated through cuttings. Or in other words, they're just clones of one mm-hmm. another. One yeah. of the reasons... Oh, go ahead. They always talk about like fruits are just seed carriers and bananas don't have seeds in them. Mm-hmm. So I wondered about that. <laughs> yeah, so one of the reasons we love... A lot of my questions are just observations I have. So far, they've also been right before we're about to talk about the Perfect. <laughs> just call me the, the segwayer. Yeah. So, the reason we... One of the reasons we like the Cavendish is there's there's nothing worse than biting into a delicious, creamy banana and then chipping your tooth on a seed. Mm. So... I would assume there is nothing worse. Yeah. Cavendish don't have seeds. Propagating things by seed is great because it provides genetic diversity. Mm-hmm. The same way that when two parents have multiple kids, their DNA is similar, but they're not identical. There's genetic variety. Right. Yeah, variety there. When you take a clone of a Cavendish, take cutting of it, times that by a million, and that single genetic sequencing... Yeah, that is, is susceptible to... Panama disease. Big issue. Yes. <laughs> Technically, there are around 1,500 kinds of bananas. Oh. And some of them are pink. Some of them taste like strawberries. Some of them taste like apples. There's amazing variety. Yeah. You know, We could go to the grocery store, and there can be a banana section just as big as the apple section. Yeah, I mean, I love strawberries. Strawberry flavored banana? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, the issue is that the entire banana industry was built around the Cavendish. Five million dollars to ward off that uh, Panama disease. Is nothing compared to redoing your entire system. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some solutions? Well, one would be to try and breed a resistant gene into the Cavendish. And there's two ways to do this. One is traditionally where you cross two different kinds of bananas, one that's resistant with the Cavendish, and hope that their product would carry that resistant gene. But as we mentioned before, it's really hard to sexually reproduce a, a plant with no seed. Yeah. The other way is to genetically modify it and just insert 
that resistant gene into the plant. And guess what? What? Someone already did it. Whoa. Yeah. In 2019, Dr. James Dale created a modified Cavendish that was resistant to the disease. Interesting. So what's the issue? Well, it sounded like you said genetically modified. And would you consider this to be an organism? Yes. That has been genetically modified? Yes. I see how some people could have issues with this. Yeah. In fact, all Maybe some uneducated people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I could definitely get on a soapbox and preach about GMOs. But I will just say... Maybe I'll just say. Maybe we'll get into it later. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Europe has, like, completely banned GMOs. So the whole European market is closed off from this resistant... Cavendish? Mm Mm-hmm. And Americans are afraid of it. So that's a pretty large portion of consumers that wouldn't have access to it. But who are you to say anything about whether or not we should do GMOs? Do you have any qualifications for you to talk about plants? Yeah, um, I have a degree in horticulture and work at a premier botanical garden. And I'm like super passionate about it so <laughs> well the passion's all i needed so. <laughs> and that could be maybe i can like delve deep into gmos i like a later podcast down the road and i don't want to like get political on our very first episode yeah that's why i was kind of <laughs> just gonna like brush by it but yeah. we're here but everything's a gmo strawberries don't naturally grow the size of your hand Oh, that's too big for a strawberry <laughs> but they're much smaller like naturally and yeah. like almonds naturally kill you all of everything just the way that people are going about it is more like scalpel based than hoping for the best, like you mentioned. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what people have a problem with. And the, I just don't get it. The difference between a GMO crop and a like new variety that was traditionally bred is the GMO is way better on the environment because you spend so much. You it takes decades to yeah. breed a new variety of plant to have. The size you want, the taste you want, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Whereas with a GMO, you just put it in there and you're done. Yeah. So like in this situation, especially when we're worried about an entire crop going extinct, mm-hmm. like we don't really have time to breed a plant that doesn't produce seeds. Yeah. To like cover cover that, you know. Yeah. And I think GMOs also get a bad rap because for a while there we were using them to create food that would produce better and like transport better and in that some flavor was lost and like i i agree with that mm-hmm. but we were also dealing with what we call the green evolution re- like green revolution where people weren't farming for themselves they're moving to yeah. cities they're having to like rely mm-hmm on and, others to produce their food which yeah. put pressure on the farmers that they needed to to increase so for for a while there it was like kind of necessary to do that yeah and to a degree it still is like the po- the human population is just increasing but what's to say we can use gmos to increase nutrients of the plants yeah taste you know there are there are so many benefits of uh, gmos and to go back Corn is unrecognizable from corn of a millennia ago, or even Mm -hmm. less time than that. The only difference is that instead of being able to do it exactly how they wanted it, they had to do it trial and error, and it took hundreds of years. Yeah. (sighs) Yep, okay. Yep. (laughs) 
again, yeah, I'm very passionate <laughs> about it. And I do agree. Like, there are reasons that people have issues. And I just think... It shouldn't be, like, open market. There should be testing. There should be limits. There should be yeah. so much for it. And, and, and that in, already exists. And everything in balance, too, right? Like, Absolutely. There is a place for heirloom crops, you mm-hmm. know? I think, obviously. But there's also a room. Or there's also room for... Just a room. Just one, one room, room. You can only one genius. person at a time in it. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's kind of my so my personal solution yeah is we need to save those heirloom bananas and incorporate them into our markets you know they might be more expensive but you know get over it (laughs) i mean (laughs) yeah yeah, if we could just increase you know if there's a demand for other varieties of bananas then farmers would have a reason to start producing them and the more that those bananas are produced the monoculture of the Cavendish goes down. Yeah. And then we switch to this new variety that is resistant, or we start growing some. You know, yeah. you just, we need biodiversity. To, to stop you there, uh, you used this term a few times, and I, I just want a uh, clarification or a definition. Heirloom. Heirloom. So those are like original untouched seeds. So they haven't been bred at all. They're just like naturally occurring okay. seeds. Yeah. Sorry. Good catch. There, there's different ways that we can combat the problem, but it's kind of on consumers to a demand the diversity and b be accepting of. Well, be educated. Yeah, get educated. Listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Share it with your friends. Um, here are some other things. Like I feel like most people know about like the banana situation. Like I feel like. A couple years yeah. ago, it was kind of a thing like, oh, bananas are going extinct. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I, I wouldn't know any details about it, but I've heard that. Yeah, so now you know so many details. Yeah, now I know the context. And here... Trivial context. That's true. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, here's some other foods that are on their way out unless something changes. Coffee, chocolate, vanilla, honey, strawberries, avocados... Honey. And oranges. Poor bees. Yeah, because bees. <laughs> because bees be going dead. Extinct, yeah, so. people people be killing the bees. Yeah. Strawberries, kind of the same situation. They're usually propagated by cuttings. They're literally coated with seeds. Yeah, no. Yeah, the strawberry is actually just like a carrier. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that most fruit? Yeah, there's this special name for the strawberry and i can't remember what it's called is it berry no <laughs> vanilla is an orchid and oh climate change is like affecting and orchids are famously difficult mm-hmm. and it's affecting their so like vanilla can probably be grown in greenhouses and stuff mm-hmm. but like in the wild it's going extinct which is which never is, a good thing yeah you know so there's there's a lot of a lot of things that we, I think, as consumers just don't realize. Absolutely. And we need to, yeah, just kind of like educate ourselves and and open ourselves to different possibilities and, and options. Um, this is kind of a, a mind-blowing statistic for me. Um, there's been about 6,000 plants throughout human history that we've relied on as food. That's a lot. Yeah. Currently, we have nine staples 
and 50% of the calories we consume come from corn, rice, and wheat. So yeah. out of 6,000 plants throughout history, yeah. some of those have already gone extinct. I think part of the issue, well, I know part N- of the narrowed issue- Narrowed our diet. Yeah, is we're trying to streamline food distribution, which makes sense, you know, because so few people are trying to feed the world. Yeah. But in that, we are losing, we're losing our food, so. Rip. Yeah. Everyone. So maybe next time you're at a store, try, you know, go to go to a different aisle. Go to the, uh, I don't know if this is uh, available everywhere, but like a Chinese market might have little bananas. And buy the little bananas. Yeah. They're good. Or I really tr- like them. Or try a different, I don't know, try a different kind of bean or like Absolutely lentil <laughs> or, you know, just just start dipping your toes into all, Beans? all of the amazing foods that are there because... Your grandkids won't enjoy them. Yeah. I mean, our posterity might live in a world without chocolate. And that is devastating (laughs) to me. (laughs) Write it in my will. Save some chocolate for them. Yeah. So, anyway, that is my report. Something I'm really passionate about. Hopefully, I conveyed it and it made sense. I think it did. I understood everything. If you're... If you want me to get on a a bigger soapbox about GMOs, (laughs) I can. So just let us know. Yeah. You can email us at trivialconpod. So C-O-N-P-O-D at gmail.com. Now we got to roll. Yeah. All right. This is the fun stuff. Brooke, why don't you take it away? So for those of you playing at home, we rolled a five last week for science and nature. One is geography. Two is entertainment, three is history, four is arts and literature, five, science and nature, six, sports and leisure. So if I roll a five again, that'll just be sports and leisure. Sports and leisure. Oh, I was going to say re-roll, but oh. that's good too. Well, then if I get a six, no, we'll just do re-roll. Let's do re-roll. Because then that increases the chances of... Yeah, I don't really want to do sports and, and leisure. <laughs> three. Three, history. Our second favorite topic. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Alright. I already know what I want to talk about. Nice. I'll figure it out. Okay. That is the end. So thank you so much for listening. Um, These early episodes are pretty crucial and like gaining momentum for a new podcast. So please share them with your friends. And uh, hopefully we didn't offend you. Listen. Yeah. And if you're offended, tell us why. Actually, don't. I am uninterested. Okay. Tell me why. (laughs) Trivial Con Pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much again. Bye. Bye.